welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Welcome to our latest podcast of IM3 Investigates. In this particular episode, we will be investigating the subject of ground engineering. My name is Ian Bobrick, and I'm the Director of Membership and Professional Standards at IM3. And it's my very great pleasure to introduce to you uh, two friends and colleagues um, who both work at Banbridge's, Emily Wood and Jim Shields. Before we go any further, um, Emily, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, so I'm Emily Wood. I'm an engineering manager at Van Ritchie's. Um, I've been in the industry for about uh, just over 10 years now. Started off in tunnelling and then um, came over to Van Ritchie's in the UK. And I've loved every minute of it. Well, not most most minutes of it, let's say. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And, and Jim, over to you. Uh, good morning, uh, Jim Shields. Uh, I am the operations manager for Bam Riches. I have a background in geology and I'm also a chartered engineer and a chartered scientist. And unfortunately, I've been in the industry for about 35, 36 years now, which is a little bit hard to believe. Uh, and I've seen some changes over that time, a lot of it good. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a great career. Oh, fantastic. Why? I mean, I think we'll start this podcast by asking uh, by asking you, um, why is ground engineering important? Emily, um, what's your take on that? Well, it comes into everything that when we're having civil projects and you've got to build something, you've got to know what's happening with the ground. Um, it's not something that most people appreciate because you don't necessarily see what's underneath your feet, but it needs to be investigated because if it's not, um, you can get into some very tricky situations. So although it's not necessarily a discipline that you see all the time, unless you're cutting a face or, or stacking up material, it is actually really important for, you know, getting the job done and that project executed properly. So I think ground engineering is very important for everything that we build in the um, industry. Interesting, yes. And, and Jim, your, your take on that? Well, it's funny because you, when you think about society in general, whether it's training to be a soccer star, training to be a basketball, they talk about foundations. The foundations is a word that is used a lot. Foundations, the building block of someone's career, uh, of someone's uh, abilities. And, and the foundation is, is very much below ground. Uh, and the ground engineering, if you like, is the is the building block for infrastructure for the for the human race. You know, we we have wonderful structures, particularly around the world. Uh, but you know, in London, you've got the Shard building that was constructed just recently. And for those of us within ground engineering, there was a superb uh, documentary explaining how the foundations for that building was constructed. 
in what is quite complex geological formations within London. Um, but I think it's interesting that a lot of the, the words and phrases that we use in ground engineering are taken outside of, of our industry and, and spoke about in life in general. Uh, and that's because it is important because we work from the bottom up. Mm. And a lot of it you don't see. Mm. So it's really important that we get it right first time. I mean, ground engineering is one of those one of those disciplines which, uh, with no disrespect to anybody who works in the in the profession, is not probably the most logical career choice. So, what, uh, who, or what actually inspired you to uh, to to take up take up ground engineering as a career? I mean, Emily. Well, I was always that person who was climbing up rock faces when they were kids and getting told off about it. I've always had a fascination with the ground, ge geology in general. I, I can't even remember when I first fell in love with it, but it probably was when I was fossilizing when I was a kid. And I've, I've never grown out of it. <laughs> it's been a few decades later and I'm still getting excited by, you know, when you when you go onto the beach for the first time and you see the rock face, you, I just always wanted to know why it was like that and how can things have been around for so many millennia and then cause issues for us in the present. So, it, you know, with landslides and things like that, I just, I find it fascinating. Um, and I don't think it's one of the careers, I guess, where if you speak to other colleagues who are ground engineers, that you can always see that fascination on people's faces. You, like if you talk about something and you, it's different, you go to a new site and the geology is slightly different or, or the soil, soil is slightly different, people's excitement and fascination in this industry is really nice to see. So you never fall out of love with it if you're a too, true geologist, I guess, <laughs> or a geopet. Absolutely, something with a geology degree. I have to agree with you there. But anyway, Jim, your your take on that? I'm obviously a lot older, so I've got to go back quite a while to think. Believe it or not, the reason how I got into to um, ground engineering was through an uncle of mine who had a wonderful um, house full of artwork, which is what got me into to collecting pieces of art. But he worked for an oil company. And, and uh, I wanted to know how I could get into that industry and, and get the money that he had and think develop that as a career. And he suggested doing maths, physics and geology at university. And then at university, um, I realized that petroleum geology wasn't really what inspired me. It, it, I didn't find that interesting, but what did inspire me was ground engineering and engineering geology because it was more engineering. Uh, and by that, I mean, there was more problem solving, if that makes any sense. Oil geology was about, uh, petroleum geology was about um, looking for horizons that contained petroleum and then extracting that. And that, that really didn't do anything for me. What, what, what was inspiring for me was the fact that, a bit like uh, Emily mentioned earlier, that geology as in, and, and rock and soils as materials caused problems or causes issues with regards to infrastructure and building and stability and rock falls and landslides and, and all of that needed a, an engineering solution to be developed and it obviously picked with a or struck with a, the logical part of my brain 
uh, and I like problem solving and and that sort of changed my course of career that, that then led me to to follow the engineering geology and geotechnical engineering mm -hmm. or the ground engineering as we call it now. So can I, can I ask then, uh, I mean, speaking of geologists here, um, if, if someone has a degree in geology uh, and actually thought, well, I want to be a ground engineer, what, what advice would you give them if they've, say, got a first degree in geology? Uh, would you recommend a second degree or would you, would you recommend working, working up and getting work-based learning in a company? What, what's your, uh, your take on that? Emily? Well, the industry is coming up with a lot of people who can do apprenticeships now. Um, and I think if you've already got a degree... Um, going to a company and asking, you know, I've got a geology degree, but I want to go more geotechnical. I, I mean, apprenticeships are out there. Um, Jim's definitely forward and thinking about that. And it, there's nothing more than hands-on experience. Like, it's important what you learn, it, uh, it, what you learn when you're learning, but actually you learn a lot on the job. And every single project that I've had, I've, <laughs> we've, we've had in the past, you've always learned something slightly different. It can be almost the exact same design solution and but further down back down the road and it will be a completely different learning curve and sometimes you just get the better hands-on experience by getting out there so my advice would be to continue to read up on it um but then try and get yourself on those projects with the, the fun engineering problems like jim's talking about because that's where you really fall in love with ground engineering when it's um when you're up against it and you want to make a solution which helps everyone. So that's some very good advice. Jim, um, obviously with, with you've been in the industry slightly longer and you've perhaps seen a different different perspective and different yeah. changes on this, yeah, on this development. Um, what's, your, what's your advice? Well, for well I mean, it's funny, you're, it's, you're absolutely right. I'm, I, I come from a very biased background, I suppose. When I, in my first job, I, I went for an interview. I, I just graduated in geology. And I was told that basically I wasn't specialist enough, and that uh, and that was because in you know in the eighties, early eighties, a lot of the sort of civil engineering consultancies uh, contracting really didn't appreciate what a geologist was trained to do, and so that it, I was it was recommended that I did a postgrad. So I did my masters in London, uh, came back, got a job with that same company, which I stayed with for a year before I moved to Barn Ritchie's. But nowadays that's that's more difficult because uh, let's face it, it's economically not possible for, for young people now to, to pay, you know, 10,000 pounds, 15,000 pounds for, for a master's degree. And I think the industry has progressed and I'm, bi and I, and I'm biased because obviously at Barn Ritchie's and Barn, we have an accredited geotechnical or ground engineering graduate program that's that's spread across the business now not only for our graduates and and I think uh, get, getting a job with a company that's forward thinking that you know a degree or a qualification is really just to get you in the door you know we we don't employ because of the degrees we de we employ because of the people's attitude we look for uh, individuals who can mix with the rest of the business, individuals who show an aptitude and a, and, a, and a willingness to learn. And we can train, we can train, and, and Emily's part of our, our accredited programme, so we can train through the practical experience. So I think it's having, 
I think having the passion to be involved in ground engineering is one thing, and then getting yourself a place with a with a company that has a training program. That's important. I always say to to everyone that when they're having an interview that they should interview the the employer as well as being interviewed. You know what can the employer do for them to take them from from either a graduate or at whatever level and and take them through into um, professional registration. Well, that's some very, very sound career advice. Uh, so thank you, Jim. And thank you, Emmons. certainly see the passion there for the subject, which is exciting. For, for those listening to this podcast who don't really know much about ground engineering, um, you know, what would a typical day be? You know, what, what, what is it? You know, a day in the life of a ground engineer. Emily, um, what, what is it that you do on a, on a daily basis? What does your day look like? Uh, so my, my daily basis is because I'm the engineering manager, so I look at different projects with all the engineers. Um, so I'm normally just going from project to project, working out what their problems are and trying to solve them with them. So that can be temporary work, design, and just looking at different photographs and stressing results. But I, I guess when I was a site engineer on site, it'd normally be heading out on site first thing, working out what we were supposed to be doing that day, and nothing would ever go as smoothly as you thought it was going to go in the morning briefing. <laughs> Normally, you'd end up by the end of the day with another another list of long things to do, but something exciting to have talked about. Um, one of my most favourite projects was also one of my most challenging projects. Um, every day, there was a new, <laughs> new challenge. We were working in a stalk area with dissolution teachers, and um, you'd have people running in and showing your voids pictures and there'd be interactions with people but it was always fun and quite busy so it changes from when you start off your career to, to now but it's always about just getting stuck in there and asking questions and um, Jim was completely right um, with his advice a minute ago I think the, the easiest thing is it people to work with the people who are enthusiastic and ask questions like I don't I don't mind if I get an engineer call me up and ask me what they think might seem like a silly question much prefer to have that conversation there than it go down further down the line and then they ask me it later and I'm like well that's almost too late so always always ask questions and if you're a keen bean and you want to do geotechnics and geology and things like that everyone's got such a passion if you just got to find that passionate person in your company or wherever you're going next and just ask that person because there'll always be someone who just really wants to tell you what's happening with the ground because that's that's their forte so never be afraid to ask questions and that, that basically all my day is answering people's questions and also asking them because I still ask them <laughs> oh, no, no, absolutely I can see I can see that a, mis a mistake which isn't rectified until later on can be very expensive by the sounds of things can't it um Jim what, what's a what's a what's a, a day in the life of Jim Shields like then professionally Oh, to be honest, as, a, as an operations manager, it's not quite as exciting as it, as it was when I was an engineer on site, to be honest. Um, it's more management and people related and providing support support to the business um, and, and doing a lot of the professional development. Uh, but I think what I, what I get probably more excited about now is either someone obtaining their registration or a, an engineering technician or one of my drillers becoming, becoming a technician member because he's been peer reviewed. 
and then going on to site and visits, site visits where I can go and see our younger engineers and that gives me the opportunity to, to have a chat with them, have them take me around the site, show me what's happening. Uh, I think I'm still a bit of a sponge, even at my age, and lots of innovations happened from my day. So lots of drilling techniques have changed over the years. And even sometimes when I go to site now, we'll get, we'll get a younger engineer who'll do things different from what, how I would have done it. Um, and that sort of enlightens me because particularly as digital uh, uh, methods have moved on, you know, that, that I'd, you know, I'm, I've still got wow moments on site when I say, wow, I, know, I, could, I would never have thought about that. But then when I was in the same position, that's because we didn't have those tools. You know, it's, uh, and Emily's very much part of that. You know, nowadays we, we have a phrase that we, we use, it says, build it before you build it. So we can actually take the projects that we're looking at and use a digital construction sequence to check that everything fits before they get to site. You know, I, I can remember as a, as a contracts manager, and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was probably 2015, maybe, when when we turned up on site, and I wanted to turn up on the site on the same day to realise that we hadn't measured our, our telehandler properly and we couldn't get it through the gate to get it onto the top of the dam. Whereas now, all of that would be checked in advance through digital construction, and we would have a sequence showing everything working. So I think the, I think what I, what, you know, my my day to day is is providing support, but mm. at the same time, though, it's it's getting excited at all of the innovations that's coming into the business, and that sort of lets you know makes me feel that the ground engineering is still as important as it was when I was a youngster, but more so there are more tools um, to help us get better at, at what we do which I think is, I find that fascinating, to be honest. And if I can just take that, take that point a bit further, and we're seeing, we're seeing a lot more digitization in the, in the technologies that uh, IOM3 has its, its outreach in, particularly in the extraction industry. What, what other developments can you see on the horizon of digitization for the, under the industry for zero banner um, coming into, into the ground engineering sector, Emily? What's, what, what can you see from, your, from where you are? So, so Jim's just alluded to it. So we are doing 4D programs on our sites. So that is putting a 4D element into a 3D project. So often we model things in 3D and then we add a time element. Um, I do see us going adding cost and resourcing onto that so that you can work out how much it costs to build a project and put resourcing on because you have something unexpected say a void or a crown hole collapse on the site it is a costly event <laughs> but also something that needs to be managed and um, properly properly addressed so if you've got it already in 3d and you've got it in a 4d program then you might be able to put cost elements and really justify how many people you need to do that fix so we, recently we've been doing quite a lot um, in the planning of possessions on say like the railway you can get them on the roadways as well it's all about 10 days or two days that you've got, if you're one minute over, you get a, a big price tag. It's all about getting it down to every hour of that project. 
and it, if it's only a 24 hour project you think oh you won't put so much effort in it but actually it's really important to know exactly when things are going on and when you're drilling and what the production rate is for drilling in that material um, mm -hmm. so we're getting lots of data from different um, areas of the business working out drill rates um, in different different um, conditions and then we're working out how we can get our production rate better cleaner and what kind of drill so we're just getting basically feedback on what we're using for drill bits um, and that should help us with tendering the future so it's all about data we've got to gather the data first um, but I think it's all looking pretty um, future future driven into you know it's not just so in someone's head it's in all of our heads now because we've all got the data to look at so the hope I have is that we collect more data as an industry so that we can really work out how to do a cleaner, leaner um, way of fixing problems in the ground. So, yeah, a 3D, 4D, 5D, you name it, I'm sure it will come up in the future. And now. And, <laughs> and, and, and Emily, if I can stick with you on that one, um, this must make um, planning, you know, your continuing professional development activities quite, uh, quite interesting or challenging. How, how do you manage to keep up with this? keep up with all this so uh, yeah. it's people like Jim and my um, engineering manager who have give us the time to investigate in the new technologies um, and it's also the clients they ask us to produce a program that to a level that they can really understand what's happening because we're often speaking to people who own assets and are really good with their assets so the railway and things like that but they don't necessarily know the ground around which their assets are sitting on it's all about getting that communication right and sometimes the easiest way of doing that is a picture and a picture 3d is even better because then you can mm -hmm. swirl it around and explain why it's important that that asset has the correct foundations like Jim was saying so it's all really about getting the time and get the justification from your clients who do this work um, mm -hmm. Jim and um, my boss uh, Owen really give us the time to be able to research mm -hmm into the new technologies um, and whether they're wherever they're relevant really um, that's, a, that's a very important investment um in in ensuring you've got the skills um and jim i mean obviously the, the skills the skill set of people is is obviously going to be changing with the management of big data i mean how do you see um the the um future recruitment um drive of companies like BAM, you know, are you going to be looking for ground engineers? Are you going to be looking for people that can manage data and then, you know, educate them in ground engineering or geology? What, what do you see as the future there? Well, and it's funny you should say that because we have, we do have what we call a data manager and there is a real difficulty in, in recruit. you can't really recruit a data manager, what we've, what we've found, or a data coordinator or data engineer, what we've found is that the, you know, the knowledge of software and being, under, and being able to understand how to use software, but you also need to have an understanding of, the, of, of ground engineering because the data that you get is ground engineering. And so you need to understand where it comes from. And so what we've as it turns out, our data people in the company are geologists background, but with particular skills in being able to use software. We've got a couple of recent graduates that came in from Camborne, who, who one of them does coding for a hobby. 
you know so that so that you need you need to you need to pick someone who has a logical brain um but has that background and understanding of of ground engineering it's very difficult uh but we've been we've been very fortunate not everyone i mean i mean i laugh and, and emily will tell you that i mean every every week we have a meeting of the engineering team and for me it's like every every week is a school day because either emily or one of the other and members of the team will teach me how to use a particular uh, piece of software that either I'm not using properly or I haven't seen before. Uh, and they go out, you know, they go out and kinesthetically work it. You know, there are courses that they can do, but they, you know, these these guys take that those tools, those software packages, and play around with them and see what they can do with them, and then come back to us and say, "Look at this." This is what I can create, and then I sit back and and just say, "Wow!" <laughs> but it is very difficult recruiting wise. Um, you know, we have we have gone for the pure analyst, um, but it hasn't worked. Uh, and so, having that background and understanding of of uh, ground engineering is really important. Um, but also having to have the skills to be able to manipulate to manipulate the data. Yeah. There's a whole different world out there on data for ground engineering that we all have to sort of work to. Mm. That's, that's interesting. I mean, if I could sort of just move the conversation on a bit here. Um, one of the important things, of course, is for all technologies to demonstrate their sustainable credentials that they're contributing towards net zero. And I've, I've, I'm not a ground engineer. Um, I have been rather uh, taken by some of the um, processes and um, things that you do within ground engineering such as uh, Kent Ledge concrete blocks, silk buster technology etc. What other important sustainable uh, contributions is the ground engineering industry making? Emily? So we are looking into discussing about low carbon um, cement. We do use um, things like silk busters and things like that but I also think that Ground engineering is often a solution to these problems. It's just maybe we look a bit messy when we're fixing stuff, but actually we do put it back right. Um, <laughs> it's just maybe we just get a little bit of, it's a massive construction site and we don't necessarily see what we've built at the end. And But it, we are doing things for the purpose of retaining slopes and stuff that are being affected by environmental changes. So what we've got to remember is that the when we're working on sites, um, it's a sustainable approach to try and re reinforce location so we don't have problems like landslides. So although it might look messy, um, we are actually trying to, to solve a problem. <laughs> um, and it is all about retaining what we have as infrastructure now so that we don't have to rebuild. And sometimes that's not always the case and you have to um, upgrade those structures to be able to deal with the, the strains of climate change or what's going to happen next because we have to build um for instance we've got um stations where we've done step-free access help and the reality is it's because infrastructure is changing we need to be more diverse and now people to use the infrastructure which obviously is the case so it's it's all about getting those kind of projects it do make you feel kind of good because you're helping the system but it can look disruptive when we're actually on site drilling mm. And there's not really much we can do about that other than just get the job done as quick as possible. 
<laughs> Indeed, and I think anybody who's driven down some various roads will always complain about, oh, I've got a 50 mile an hour limit here and there's cars mm -hmm. here and why is this, 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 this all blocked off? But it's, of course, it's done for a reason. Uh, uh, Jim, you, your view on this? I think is Emily's right. I think the, you know, the, the sort of old idea of, of a construction site and particularly a grand engineering site has been sort of a messy, a messy site as a sort of old school. Before we, before we even think about um, starting projects now, we look at providing sustainable solutions. And by that, we mean uh, looking at ways of, of providing a solution that doesn't alter the fabric or the, the infrastructure too much. So the simplest way of dealing with a, with a slope, a failed slope, would be to cut back the slope and make it a lot shallower. But obviously what you do is you remove a vast amount of material that needs to go somewhere. So some of the soil nailing solutions that we have will allow us to have that slope still steep. So the corridor is still sharp. We don't have to remove all of that excess material but the materials that we're using to stabilize, we need to have a sustainable material source. So we're looking into longevity of materials. So the corrosion protection, so that it doesn't have to be redone or replaced in 10 or 20 years. We've got materials now out there that are recyclable, that will give a 125, 150 year lifespan. We're looking into using carbon uh, neutral um, cements and concretes now. There's been lots of trials within London on some of the foundations using carbon-free carbon -free concrete. There's, a, there's an interesting research going on and BAM is involved in it, the Strathclyde University, where we're looking into, uh, and I need, to, I need to remember how to say this properly, microbial-induced calcite precipitation, MICP, uh, we are testing it with, uh, with Strathclyde University. One of the other members of the ground engineering group is, is involved in that. So we, there, basically, we are injecting bacteria into sand and basically makes sandstone. So the, the, the bacteria precipitate calcite and creates basically rock, which will make us geologists, you know, uh, fossils soon because we probably won't need us because we'll be we'll be creating our and that 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 is a really interesting and a sort of quite exciting bit of research that's going on at the moment because for one thing if you can imagine that that, that you you have a sort of neutral bacteria that you can inject and then you can stabilize a whole hillside of sandstone of sand without having to do anything else. The Dutch are, you know, BAM are Dutch owned and obviously they're very excited because, uh, you know, Holland is built on sand and they'd have to have a lot. So when you're putting in an excavation in a, in a water bearing sand, that takes a lot of steel to hold those excavations open. And if you can inject with a, with a bacteria and then basically just cut into that, that's that's in a different that's a different world now. That's that's so um, almost sci-fi that the excitement is there. We're we're still at the we're still we're moved we're, we're trying to move from laboratory trials to field trials now. But that's and that and I think the industry has realised that we need to look at you know net net zero. We need to look at sustainability uh, solutions. You know, 
having having a listed building that that has that has some dodgy foundations or or dodgy ground around it, we've got to look at ways of being able to solve that solution without having to remove the building. And that's that's all there. You know, techniques, equipment has all been innovative now, where we can where we can really work on producing a solution that doesn't doesn't need you know a lot of ugly scaffolding that you know so aesthetics is really important as well we there's lots of products now that are aesthetically very very good you know and that that helps the the, the clients themselves because they know that they have to do some work and it will look good afterwards and they're not going to have joe public complaining that that uh, that we've created a, an iso so it's all good well, that's very positive and i think uh, companies, organize, companies and organisations are taking uh, far more uh, heed of the, the need of stakeholders and the members of the general public because otherwise it, it does paint their profession in a very in a very difficult light, doesn't it? A very different light, negative light rather. Just going back to something we talked, Jim, you mentioned earlier, uh, and Emily, I mean, obviously you've another view on this. Um, I went three accredits, uh, individuals, chartered engineer, incorporated engineer, dream technician people from the grand engineering community and we've certainly worked with BAMS um, um, per, taking a lot of your uh, employees through the process. The ROJEP though is a slightly different beast. Um, could you talk and explain a bit about what the ROJEP actually is and what the benefits are to being ROJEP, being on the ROJEP? Oh I'll take that one then <clears throat> mainly because I'm on the panel <laughs> representing the IOM3 and vice chair yeah, it's it's interesting. So basically, it came about from what is called the Ground Forum. The Ground Forum is the umbrella body within the ground engineering industry that has uh, a lot of the, the the scientific community or the and the IOM three as a member, the Institute of Civil Engineers, the Geological Society, and also lots of trade associations. And that umbrella body uh, is is the one that lobbies the government on behalf of ground engineering. And about fifteen years ago. They decided that what was happening was that some people out there with the term title chartered engineer were uh, getting involved in things that perhaps were not um, so structural engineers, for example, getting involved in foundation designs. And what what the Ground Forum wanted to do was to to really protect the ground engineering industry and provide an, a, a route for customers and clients to understand that they should be using people with ground engineering experience. So they created the register. And that register of ground engineering professionals is supported by the IOM3, the, the, the civils and, and uh, the GeogSOC. It now includes Engineers Island and the geologists uh, of Ireland. And when, uh, when I first got involved there, to, to be on the register, you had to be uh, either a chartered engineer or a chartered geologist, and uh, and what I what I decided when I when I was asked to join the panel was to to, to remind them that there are two other registrants out there in the industry, namely ING and EngTech, that that are considered professionals and had were basically being ignored or excluded from that register, and so it took me a couple of years and with a lot of support from the IOM three, I have to say. Uh, to convince the ground, the ground forum, because they are the overarching body, to allow Rojep to expand, and so now we have five grades of registrant. So you have your technician, 
ground engineering technician, ground engineering practitioner, uh, ground engineering professional for the newly qualified CNG or CGOs. Then we have a specialist, ground engineering specialist who's 10, 10 years experience. And then moving on to the, to the more senior, uh, the advisors. Um, and, uh, and basically it's, it's to give customers and clients an opportunity to understand that if they're looking, if they have a ground engineering problem, then they really should be looking at having a ground engineering professional uh, to help deliver the solution. Um, and so we want to encourage everyone to, to who, who are, who do consider themselves ground engineer that once they have achieved registration to then seek, it's not expensive and, and really the process is, is relatively straightforward um, to seek registra registration on on the uh, on the register really and uh, and that's something for the future and something that I hope the the creation of our ground engineering group um, will encourage our IOM three members to to join because I'm sure there's a lot of um, ground engineers within the institute who perhaps haven't mm. joined. Yeah, I was actually going to come on to that. So, uh, Emily, um, <clears throat> obviously, in the time I've I've been in IM3 and worked at IM3 and been a member of IM3, obviously, ground engineering hasn't actually had the uh, the necessary uh, focus that um, it should have had, and it's one of our growing areas of membership. Um, and you have some exciting news for our members <laughs> with an interest in this area. Um, so, would you like to tell us about the new IOM3 Ground Engineering Group, please, and a bit about its uh, forthcoming agenda uh, and work in 2022? Of course. Okay, so the, we have now got a Ground Engineering Group. Um, we're part of the Mining Technology Division, but um, you can find us on the website, um, and we're happy to um, have people who want to be part and get involved in it. And we're hoping to get a few mini series events next year where we talk about a couple hot topics in ground engineering and maybe even for people who aren't ground engineers but want to learn about what ground engineering is they can join in as well but the first one we're going to do in the first quarter is going to be an introduction to ground engineering but it's mainly just for the group and finding out what we're going to do and hearing from you guys as to what kind of topics we want to talk about so it's all a bit exciting. Um, we've had a few meetings um, so far. I've met some really nice ground engineers <laughs> from different disciplines. So also, I'm obviously a geotech, but the, we have um, site investigation people in that group. We have consultants, we have designers, you know, so it's all a, a big, big diverse lot, but we can't wait to speak to more of you. So if you want to come and uh, join in or, or participate, please get involved. Um, you can email our contacts are on the IMO free page um, and we yeah just register interest with either me and Jim's on the call as well who will happily take an email um, and we'll get that sorted but yeah no it should be exciting for 2022 Ian um, yeah. it's always nice to speak to people who are passionate about ground engineering and what we do <laughs> uh, exactly and I think that you've you've certainly both to demonstrated today your passion for this very interesting subject and one which is uh, I think perhaps overlooked by a number of people when they make career choices and I think sort of in closing um, where do you see the industry going in the next five to ten years what what do you actually see happening Jim I'll um, start with you 
think the, as I said before, I think the, the industry as a whole will be looking more to do uh, with sustainable solutions and net zero carbon solutions, innovations on on materials as well as as well as technical solutions. I think is the is the one that's on the agenda. Reuse of materials, um, all of that is is very much at the forefront uh, of of innovation and techniques. I think that's that's the way the, the, the industry is is going. Coming a little bit more closer to home. Uh, the creation of a ground engineering group, I think, is more exciting to me, uh, and, and I'm probably biased, but it's it's more that's more exciting to me than than the MICP, um, and I think that's because the the as you said earlier, we haven't had a real focus within the IOM three, and 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 it's amazing that just getting the word out that we're starting to. To see that that there are members out there who who would consider themselves ground engineers, but but haven't had a focus, and and so the the, the industry, the voice within the industry at the moment is very much dominated by the geological society, the engineering group of the geological society, and the ICE, and we want to we we are we want to be one of the power brokers within the ground engineering and that's why i'm excited i think going forward in the next five years i think uh, our ground engineering group and the iom3 will become a will become a major player within the industry and for me that's that's encouraging you know and and exciting and hopefully i can retire knowing that we're we've got a big group going forward <laughs> oh, fantastic. Thank you, Jim. And, and, em, and Emily, so in five to 10 years time, when you're the chief executive of BAMS, what do you see the future as being? <laughs> I wish. Um, no, so I guess the future really is, as you said, durability and longevity of projects. We want them to last longer. We want them to be able to tackle climate change. But also, it's all about getting the industry out there and speaking about it in a positive light. That people know we exist I think we do such great things but people don't really want to drum on about it but actually it's important because if we fix problems for people then they they will appreciate us when we go on site and we end up doing those it's important that we respect the discipline and it's nice speaking to other ground engineering people and I think if we more heads about together about ground engineering can only bring us better solutions for the future and I think the future is a lot of you know there will be problems that have been arisen because of climate change and things like that and we need to have solutions so now is the time to talk not in 10 years time we need to solve them now <laughs> thank you thank you thank you very much just leads me to thank um contributors today emily wood and jim shields and thank you very much for tuning into this podcast and we look forward to you joining us next time thank you information about us visit iom3.org or to keep up to date with our latest news follow us on social media using at iom3 on twitter and at the institute of materials minerals and mining on linkedin if you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved please subscribe to hear more from us through apple google podcasts or spotify